listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for first Friday Q&A, episode 225. Happy New Year, Mark. How are you? Doing awesome. Happy New Year to you, Paige. Yay. And Happy New Year to all of our listeners out there. We made it through 2020. I, know. <laughs> I don't know if it can ever get worse than that. Yeah. But, you know, besides being happy new year to everybody, OGGN's got a bunch of stuff going on. I want to take this chance to mention that we have a hybrid event that we're going to do sometime in January for some really exciting announcements, one including this show. Don't have a date yet, don't have a location yet, but we'll probably have 40 or 50 people in person here in Houston. Then we'll have two or three or 4,000 people on the live stream. So just pay attention to our social media. As soon as we get everything baked, we'll get that out there. And then the other thing I want to talk about real quick is reviews. Yeah. We got This is our first review of the year, Paige. Yay, yay. And you actually cut this one off, so I'm going to have to go to the website to look at it, but... It says, informative and professional show, my favorite, five stars. I have been listening to the show for a year now, and I love it. In fact, I like the show so much that I created an Apple ID just to leave a review since the Android podcast app won't let you review. These guys know the industry and are realistic. They always promote diversity and equality in the industry. On the environmental side, they always inform their audience about the oil and gas industry's optimization actions to run cleaner. However, sometimes they can confuse me about the prosperity and the oil and gas industry offers. I think they always mean economic prosperity and not environmental one. I get it. We need a good economy to prosper, but what about a clean environment for our children and grandchildren? We need a balance. Mark is always acknowledged when he's wrong about something and promised to keep improving the show. A very human team runs the show like they're a family. I hope I can attend one of their events one day. Yeah, that was misspelled, but it happens. That's a great review for our first one of the year. I know, right? All right, first Friday Q&A, you know the deal. You ask the questions. The goal is not to stump page nine. The goal is to help educate our audience. Let's get to the first one. I don't think I've ever seen this guy before. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think it's pronounced Ludwig. Ludwig? Yeah. Ludwig Hoff? <laughs> exactly. He's on every first Friday Q&A, and he asks what Thanksgiving's about. So basically, it's a national holiday for the United States. And if I look at the Wikipedia, I just kind of figured out, Mark, Canada also celebrates it. Granada, St. Lucia, and Liberia all celebrate, but for different reasons. It began as a day of giving thanks and sacrifice for the blessing of the harvest and of the preceding year. So, you know, here in North America, we really commemorate the Harvest Festival celebrated by the pilgrims back in like the 1600s. So, yeah, so Ludwig, basically the first Americans almost starved to death. They partnered with the Native Americans here. The Native Americans helped them farm in conditions that they were not used to coming from Europe because farming here in the North America is radically different. And so they helped them get through the first severe winter without starving to death. And they were so thankful they gave thanks. And that's where Thanksgiving came from. Good deal. Good deal. All right. Next question. Okay. This is from one. Caicedo, Oil Movements Analyst, Argon Refining, Inc. Hi, guys. My name is Juan, and I recently graduated with a Master of Management in Energy from Tulane. I have been a regular listener of Oil & Gas This Week podcast for the past year, and I absolutely love it. 
You guys always bring relevant topics and great content. It is an excellent way to stay informed and very useful for me as an oil movements analyst. Keep up the great work and I look forward to the big changes coming up with OGG and website. Oh, and by the way, I really want one of those IBM t-shirts you are giving out. So this wasn't really a question, Mark. <laughs> well, so he works for Argon Refining. Refinery and they do a very specialized, very niched, their napathenic oil refinery. Was, what, did, what does that even mean? Napathenic is one of the several base oils. There's synthetics, there's mineral. This is one of the mineral brands and they have different characteristics. This one's known as having less wax in it. So Think about lubricating stuff at lower temperatures, right? Yeah. If you have more wax and oil, the wax tends to become a solid, doesn't yeah. lubricate. Here's a bit of trivia that I bet nobody knows other than me because this is how Mark's brain works. <laughs> I believe it, actually. So speaking of lubricating things in low temperatures, you want to guess what oil we still use today to lubricate satellites that have to go from extremely cold to extremely hot in a few seconds? You what? Whale oil. Really? It's the only oil that can stay in those temperature swings. So when you think of a satellite, think of the Hubble, and you think of the motors turning the transmission to realign that mirror, it's lubricated with whale oil. Interesting. Now, I'm how, hope- did, how did you figure, first off, what even prompted for you to try to figure out what that was? This isn't something I researched for the show. This is something stuck in the back of my head, and we started talking about uh, less waxy oil bases, and it just popped in my head, oh, there's a one that's even better than that, which is whale oil. So there you go, audience. You get educated on stuff. <laughs> Next time you pay Trivia Pursuit and you win, give me credit for it. <laughs> no more wine. <laughs> Don't send wine. He has enough. And as far as the IBM shirts, Juan... We can't give you one. <laughs> Thanks for asking. Have, I don't even have one, and I helped design them, so. You have to register it. But Juan, if you don't win, register every week. Just register every week, and eventually, if you live long enough, you'll, you'll win one. <laughs> you live We have this going by then, right? All right, so the next one is from Phil Pearson, president at R&D LLC. Mark, do you still plan on debating the IBM person on climate warming? So, Phil, thanks for keeping me true to my boast I made. This is probably maybe even close to two years ago. But, Phil, we're doing actually something better. We don't have all the details baked, but it looks like it's going to be a panel discussion between some of the top client scientists in the world and myself and Alex Epstein. Which I've also interviewed. That's (laughs) pretty awesome. And we're going to talk through this not – from an emotional point of view, not from a political point of view, we're going to talk through as a, from a factual point of view, you will see both sides. You'll see the heavy hitters come out with all the data. And I think, Paige, what we're going to do is we may charge a little bit for that. We're going to take that money and give it to charity, donate oh, to cool. charity. Oh, cool. Yeah. Have y'all decided which one yet? Not yet. It's still trying to get everything lined up. But Phil, not only are we going to do it, we're going to do it a much better, much deeper, much higher scale than originally just me and David Gold from IBM. So so stay tuned. It's coming. It will be in the first quarter of this year. I'm kind of a little nervous to get on stage with those level of client scientists, but you know what? I walk the walk, right? So yeah. stay tuned, Phil. It's coming. <laughs> oh, so this is a first. Joseph Batier hosted OGGN. Hey, I think I know that guy. I think you know it too. <laughs> Have we ever had any one of our hosts Ask a question before? I don't think so. I think most of our hosts don't like spending too much time with us or talking to us. Well, no, I think they're, they listen to their own podcast and they don't want to listen. Yeah, whatever. So you want to tell the audience what Joseph's the host of? Actually, I don't have my whiteboard in front of me, so don't forget. It's the Renewable oh, Show. Oh, Renewables. Yeah. That's right. Okay. So poor Joe has been steadfastly, very patiently waiting this for us to get this show launched. A couple launched. years, maybe. No, about, yeah, a, about, about a year? 18 months. Yeah, yeah, year and a half. And so it's happening yeah. this year. So what's his question? It says, when you mentioned the Canadian gusher well and talked about geothermal, I think you misspoke and you said Norway is a big producer of geothermal. My first thought for geothermal is Iceland, 30% of their electricity is geothermal. And then 
70% hydropower. Norway is investing in geothermal energy research and has some amount of direct use geothermal, but no electricity production. Just wanted to clarify that. Thanks, y'all. So, folks, do you see why Joseph is hosting our <laughs> renewables podcast? Because he's 100% right. When I was thinking of this, I was thinking of Iceland, and for some reason, Norway came out. But Iceland has the unique geographic characteristics where they're one of the few countries that can run their entire grid on 100% renewable, right? If you count hydro as a renewable, which for some reason, Greenpeace doesn't think so. I don't I have no idea why. Yeah, so Joe, you're absolutely right. It's not Norway, it's Iceland. And I think it's really cool how far they've come. And that technology that they spent years developing is now spreading out through the rest of the world that have the right geologic characteristics to be able to tap into geothermal. So thank you, Joe, for fact-checking me here. All right, so this is a long one. It's from Jill Mota, mechanical engineer at Petrobras. By far my favorite podcast, inside or outside of the oil and gas industry. Paige and Mark, you do such an amazing job and So many of my coworkers are listeners, so keep up the great work. My question may start some trouble. (laughs) I am okay if you choose not to read it on air. I've read and heard a lot of comments on the unfair and sexist treatment of women in oil and gas. I've been in this industry for nine years, and although I've seen and experienced this type of treatment myself, it's rare, at least in the companies that I've worked for. I have, however, known women who intentionally dressed and behaved in the ways to encourage male attention. To say that how a woman dresses makes no difference may be okay in the HR circles, but we all know that's not reality. I've personally talked and mentored some of the women, so I know 100% that they wanted the men in the office to notice them. I'm not saying that they were wrong or if they were right, but it is a real thing that happens every day. I've also known men whose personality is naturally friendly and outgoing, and they sometimes get accused of flirting and hitting on their female co-workers. Once again, I have coached some of these guys, and they were just being themselves, not flirting at all. Any thoughts on how our industry should deal with the reality of the different sexes, while at the same time not backslide on our diversity progress? And how do I get one of those IBM shirts? <laughs> so, audience, this question is deep, right? And it's heavy. Just a couple of things real quick. I don't know this for sure. But the combination that she works for Petrobras, and her last name is Mota, which if my Portuguese is correct, basically means people that live by the fort or fort people. And then she ended the, instead of saying thank you or goodbye or cordially, she said benjinhos, which Mm -hmm. is little kisses in Portuguese. Makes me think she's Portuguese, right? Okay. So, which means probably English is not her native language. Well, this was definitely very well. Very well written. So the yeah. Brazilians know English back and forth. They, they learned it from yeah. very early age. But the whole reason I bring that up is if when you just rattle this off real quick, it sounds a little bit condescending, but the culture in Brazil is different. I see. Look I didn't face. take it as condescending. Condescending, and she's saying that some women dress a certain way to attract men attention. Okay. Right? So first thing, I think there's just a slight cultural difference here because I believe she's Brazilian, which I love Brazil. The second thing is... It's a matter of the intent, in my opinion. You know, men and women work together. We've worked together for thousands of years. We'll work together in the future. At times, you cannot help but be aware of the sexual differences, right? If you're healthy, normal, female or male. And at times, you may do something that other people may not appreciate, whether it's the way you dress or the way you interact with people. But as long as your intent is sincere, I think you're okay with that. So let's say, Paige, that 
other women in the office thought that you dressed a little bit provocatively. <laughs> First off, I'm super <laughs> modest. I know. That's why this <laughs> is what anyway. makes it such a good example. But let's say that's just what your personality was. Mm-hmm. That's just what made Paige feel comfortable. Well, then your intent is pure. I mm-hmm. think it's fine. At the same time, what if your intent by going to the office was to find a rich husband? See, now your intent is not pure. I right? can agree with that. And I've seen it. Yeah. I've yeah. seen it a lot throughout my career. And from a guy's point of view, lately in the last couple of years, it's sometimes it's hard to know what you can and can't say. I naturally am a very friendly person, and I sometimes have to tone down who I really am when I'm around strangers because I don't want the perception to be that I'm flirting, right? I'm not. It's just who I am. Once again, I think it's your intent. If I am trying to make sure everything, everybody feels comfortable and my intent is pure, I think that's okay. And then lastly, no means no. Well, right. So, you know, if I'm in the office environment and I'm flirting with somebody in the office and she politely or impolitely ever tells me, hey, I'm not interested, it needs to stop right there. Right. Where it gets weird is when people start dating and then things don't go straight. I mean, you have all this gray area. A lot of throat punches. Yeah. So so I think bottom line is, is what is in your head? What is your intent of doing this? And I think long as your intent is pure, you're okay with this. You know, you go to Brazil you go or anywhere Central and South America, the way the women dress in the office is slightly different than the way women dress here and in Europe, but it's just a cultural difference. Same way with the men. The men pride themselves on wearing really sharp, tailored, fitted suits all the time, right? We don't do that here that much. You know, it's just a, a different culture. So like I said, I think as long as your heart's in the right place and you can communicate that with your coworkers, I think you're fine. And bottom line is when you have men and women working together, regardless of everything else, you're going to have issues like this that you got to learn how to deal with. Luckily for us, we haven't had this happen yet in our company, but somewhere down the road, we probably will. We're going to have to deal with it. Yeah, I'm sure. And at that point, we'll have to get an HR department. <laughs> well, HR, I think, it sometimes makes it worse. I know for a fact, a young woman that worked in a company and she took pride in the fact that she watched what she ate and she worked out. And other women in her division got jealous of what she wore and reported her to HR. And when okay, she, that's just wrong. Well, when she went to HR, the HR person who happened to be a female looked at her and go, you're dressed the same as everybody else. I'm sorry your legs look better, right? But you're fine. Well, good for that manager. Yeah. But what a weird, awkward thing to, as an HR person, have to deal with, having to make that judgment call on whether they've crossed the line or not. And, you know, at what point does the fact that you take care of yourself figure into that? You know, it just got to be really careful. Yeah. No, no, I absolutely agree. Like I said, I'm very modest. <laughs> All right, so next question is from John Aber, which is funny because that's my brother's name. But you're assuming that it's Aber. It's either Aber or Hebert. Hebert. We're both it's from Aber. South Louisiana, so we naturally I think everybody it's knows we're yeah. from Louisiana, Mark. <laughs> anyway, I know it's not my brother because it says he's a chemist. Works at one of the big chemical manufacturers. What is your opinion of BASF wanting to sell part of its U.S. chemical manufacturing businesses? Is this the end of the petrochemical boom? Love the show. No, this is BASF trying to streamline its operation. BASF has to be over 100 years old. They're a very old chemical co- manufacturing company all over the world. They're basically dumping stuff that is not core to their business to raise some capital. One of the things that they're selling is a piece of their business in Illinois that makes sulfactants. <laughs> do you even know what a sulfactant no. is? Okay. That was going to be my next question. What <laughs> I is actually that? do know what a sulfactant is. So think about <laughs> if you have water in your washing dishes and the water's oily on top, and you drop it, one drop of dishwashing detergent, and the oil runs. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's what a sulfactant does. Go, okay, right? cool. So anyway, 
that's a small piece of BASS's business. They're dumping that to raise the cash. It's not going to raise that much. It could sell $100, $200 million, something like that. And then they're also selling another piece of their business. Oh, I can't remember what it is in the U.S. But all in all, it's like 10% of their U.S. business. And they're doing that to raise cash so they can invest back in their core business. So this is not the end of the petrochemical boom. There will never be the end of the petrochemical boom as long as mankind wants to live a modern lifestyle. This is BASF just streamlining a little bit, getting rid of parts of their business that are underperforming so they can invest in other parts of their industry. All right. So next question is from Chris, and he's the marketing guy at Freeman. So we do a lot. Hey, let's of, stop real quick. What? Do you remember the name Freeman? I don't know. Probably. So you do. So Freeman used to have the contract for OTC for all the marketing. Oh, okay. And okay. Click, click, click. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we actually met with them several times. They're an enormous company. I, we've met with so much. I know. So many people. I mean, I keep the names. You say keep everything with the company names. I just. I try to. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Chris, uh, hey, you know how you know he's a marketing guy? Because he's got points. Read his email address. Yeah. He knows that we're not going to plug it. He knows. So Chris basically made up an email address so we wouldn't plug him into our email automation. So audience, I'm actually, the reason I'm bringing that up is when we ask for your email address for First Friday Q&A, you don't have to give it to us. It's not required. And the only reason we ask you for that is in case we want to reply back to you personally instead of reading on the air. So you never have to give us your email address, but we never plug those email e addresses into any type of email Database automation. Database or anything. Anything. Like Once right, the good. First Friday Q&A is gone, it's gone. But anyway. Okay, so we do a lot of work for the largest energy companies in the world, and that includes social listening. And we've been following OGGN even before it became OGGN. So two questions. What's the deal with all, and I mean all, of the large content distribution and streaming companies' interest in you? Okay, so let me answer that by, I can't give you details. I do know the couple of companies that you're talking about, Chris. The deal is everybody's looking for unique content. Every company out there that is a content distribution company, think of Netflix, a perfect mm -hmm. example. They're looking for unique content. They're looking for stuff that nobody else has to compete with their competitors. And on everybody's list for, say, the last year has been podcast. There's a certain guy you may have heard of, Joe Rogan. Yep. Right. Spotify wanted unique content. And you know what? Spotify wrote a big old check mm -hmm. to make sure that Joe Rogan's content was Spotify's content and you could only get it on their platform. Their competitors are doing the same thing and they're looking at, at options. So we've been approached by everybody. We've been in discussions with several of them. Can't talk about any any of it in detail, but that hopefully it answers your question, Chris. That's what they're looking for. Okay. So number two, what do you see as the future of the enormous multinational energy events and conferences? Who before COVID-19, the value of the large conferences in oil and gas were, was already on the decline. Yeah. I think COVID-19 and the year 2020, the double black swan event had just sped that thing up. Honestly, I think the large, the very large, the OTCs of the world, multinational conferences, their days are numbered. The smaller niche conferences, I think, can still be super valuable if people run them right. But the old need for oil and gas companies to go to a conference to learn about products and services doesn't exist anymore i mean the only reason why we used to go is just to go meet people and network and god i miss those days well but it used to be page back in the 90s you know you'd go to otc and chevron was there and exxon was there and mobile was there and you know british petroleum was there and texaco was there and then all of the smaller players all the service companies but they were there because there was no internet so yeah, if I worked at true. Exxon and I wanted to talk to every choke manufacturer in the world, the only way I could really do it effectively was go to OTC. That makes sense, yeah. And because of that, I brought POs with me. Yeah. And because I brought POs, millions of dollars worth of business were exchanged on that showroom floor. And because of that, it drove a lot of value. Now, if I work for Exxon 
and I want to talk to every choke manufacturer world, I can just go online. I don't have to do it myself. I have one of my people do it for me, right? Right. And so the value isn't there anymore. Like I said, for the large events, the smaller niched events, you know, take something super niche like, you know, machine learning and oil and gas or refining 2.0 or whatever. Those things are super niche because it because you can still learn and you're around your peers. Now, the interesting thing is the social part of the conferences, which is what you alluded to earlier. We all miss that, right? Because we're with our people. And because we're with our people, there's a lot of benefit you gain, even by just being around other people because you have shared experiences. That's the part that's really hard to replicate with an online event. You know, we're doing online events now. And what I've come to realize is that a live event is like a Broadway show. So a live event, just like Broadway, you have to make sure that the people in the very last row get entertained. You have to make sure there's time for people to go to get popcorn and get soft drinks and to actually go to the restroom, right? So you have to coordinate this huge thing as one big unit as opposed to online events. Online events are like the TV news show, right? You do it in very short snippets. You have two minutes for weather, two minutes for local news, two minutes for international news, right? And you're not worried about reaching the person in the back seat. So the large conferences, I think if are basically their days are numbered, the value has not been there before COVID-19. I think that just sped everything up. The smaller niched ones, I think, still have a lot of value. And I think there's this new thing coming on, which is what we've been experimenting with, which is hybrid events, where you have a small in-person audience live and you get all those benefits, but then you also broadcast it to an online audience and you have those benefits as well. So that's my answer to that. That's what I think. And then Chris also goes on to say, and Paige, you and I briefly met at the OTC Caterpillar booth when you launched your industry leader show. You've come a long way. Thank you. Well, that was a long time ago. Boy, what was that? I think that was four years ago, Mark. It's three no, it's not three. It had to be four years four? ago. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I wish I could remember you. <laughs> <laughs> I've slept a lot since then. All right. So last question is from Bridget Nelson, strategy senior manager with Accenture. Hey, we know them. And her question is, I know I'm late in saying this, but Paige, you are the most badass addition to the show. When are you getting rid of Mark? (laughs) Well, first off, we can't get rid of Mark because he brings up stuff like, I don't know, whale oil. (laughs) (laughs) We wouldn't be blessed with knowing those types of things without him. So he's probably not going anywhere. Hey, Paige, before you get into her question, a couple of things. What? So what's her name? Bridget Nelson. Isn't that the Sylvester Stallone's old ex-wife? I don't. Remember the uh, really tall? uh, No, I think it was Nielsen. Oh, Nielsen. Okay. And it was pronounced Brigitte. Okay. And then what's her email address? I'm not telling everybody okay. her email anyway, address. Anyway, I'm not going to tell you her whole email address, but the first part of her email address is Rebound Bridget. Now, is she a basketball player or does she need help with relationships? Oh, man. Mark. And Bridget, I'm, I'm just picking on her because it's funny. <laughs> I think it's funny. I'm not being mean. I'm really not. I'm going to report you to HR. <laughs> we don't have an HR. You are <laughs> HR, Paige. <laughs> uh, touche. Anyway, her question is, now that the U.S. elections are over, more or less, what will be the impact to the U.S. energy industry and also the global energy industry? And Mark, I know how you are. So when I say energy, I specifically mean both oil and gas and renewables. You're one of my few trusted news sources. So please keep up your amazing work. Thanks, Bridget. So, yes, by the time you hear this, U.S. elections should be over, like really over, over. Impact U.S. energy industry, 
So if we drive the price of hydrocarbons up through perception and through some executive actions, which is what I think is going to happen, number one, that's actually kind of good for the renewables. Right now, the renewables are struggling because natural gas is so freaking cheap in this country right now, and it's hard to cost justify renewables. So I think that will actually help the renewables. Of course, you know, the current or the new administration that's coming in is very pro-renewable. So you'll see a bunch of financial incentives to help that part of the industry out. The U.S. hydrocarbon industry, so the U.S. oil and gas industry, I think is going to be impacted a little bit. Not as bad as everybody thinks it is, but the consumption of hydrocarbons will happen no matter what. So here in the U.S., you know, no matter what, we're going to burn through 20 million barrels a day of oil every day. And if we drive the prices up of American hydrocarbons, that 20 million barrel need is going to come from somewhere, most probably the Middle East and Russia. So... We will continue to use hydrocarbons. We'll continue to buy hydrocarbons. Unfortunately, I think we will start buying hydrocarbons outside the U.S., which means that those jobs and those tax dollars will go to other countries, not to U.S. citizens and U.S. countries. And then internationally, I think the new administrations can actually help the oil and gas industry globally. I think as we limit or restrict the way we can find and then produce and then distribute hydrocarbons here in the U.S. It just makes it more lucrative for other countries to come sell their hydrocarbons here, which is what I think will happen. The renewables internationally is, is really interesting. Most countries don't subsidize renewables other than here and in Europe and in Australia. And so the renewable industry has a lot of room for growth outside the U.S. I mean, tremendous room for growth. And it's also, you have to understand scale. You know, you hear people talk all the time about how we are addicted to oil and gas. We're not addicted to oil and gas. We've been spoiled by it. So, you know, Paige, you and I are sitting right now in about 3,000 square feet of air-conditioned space. You know, most people outside the U.S. and Europe, or even outside the U.S., can't afford that much space. They can't afford to keep that air conditioned. So renewables are great for a small village community where they need to be able to power up a iPad, recharge your cell phone, run a couple of small refrigerators, maybe one light bulb in each house because you don't need the infrastructure. You don't need to build, build power distribution, power lines, power generation, you know, retail, all that stuff. You literally could put up a couple of windmills and have a battery bank or some solar battery bank and supply that village. So in that arena, I think renewables have started to grow internationally. I think they will continue to grow internationally. And I think our current administration will actually help that. Because the U.S. has kind of been of an experiment, the cost of solar cells, the cost of wind power has come down dramatically, and which just benefits the rest of the world. So, Bridget, I'm not sure if that answers your question. I promise you I wasn't picking on you about the rebound Bridget thing. I just thought it was funny. But I think a lot of the world's going to benefit financially from the U.S. elections in 2020. All right. So that's all the questions, Mark. All right. What about the IBM shirt giveaway? Well, everybody's asked how to get a shirt. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Everybody wants one. Like, just sign up, people. So, hey, no matter what you're listening to on this, most probably it's mobile. So whether it's iOS or Android, either scroll up or left, go to the show notes. There's a link. You can literally click on it from your phone to go register. It takes a minute. In the next two weeks, if you don't get an email saying you've won that shirt, then register again the next week and just keep trying and trying until you get it. The shirts have been a big hit, obviously, because everybody asking to get one. we got some cool stuff we're going to do with the numbers on those shirts but i think you found something else to do right we have well, a, yeah yeah you you brought up having everybody join the linkedin group and so we did a random pick and lauren swift won a bag 
or slash box of IBM OGGN swag. And I sent her an email on LinkedIn. So I'm still waiting for her to get back to me on that. But if you hear it on here, Lauren, you have won. So please reach out to me, page.wilson at OGGN.com so I can get your address and send it to you. And speaking of sending people stuff, what's the weekly rig count? What? Because <laughs> <laughs> I heard on your show, you made fun of my segues. Well. Darn it. <laughs> people love my segues. People line up yeah, for but my people, segues. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Someone left me a review making fun of your segues. Shame on them. <laughs> was it Bridget, was it? <laughs> no, it wasn't. No, it was not. All right. So for the U.S. counts 351, we're up three. Canada is 59, down 23. Internationally, 669, up 13. So it's not too shabby. Sorry, Canada. Yeah. And then just go to LinkedIn and join everything that says OGGN. <laughs> Are you getting tired of saying it, Mark? <laughs> well, it's so many different things. But the other thing is our street teams really come together. We've picked leaders. We now have different committees. So we have a social media committee. We have a student outreach committee. We have a leadership committee. And on and Committee? On. Committee. <laughs> so if you want to play a part in all that, go join the street team. There's a little form you fill out to let us know what you're interested in doing and you get to be a part of the fabulous work we're doing here at OGGN. Yeah, and there's plenty plenty to be done. Trust me. So And finally, if you want to get our monthly email events newsletter and events are starting to pick back up from zero, it's easy to pick back up from zero. Yeah, no kidding, no kidding right? <laughs> Once again, go to the link, sign up. We promise never to spam you. We take all the oil and gas events, put them together, put them in your inbox once a month, plus stuff that the public isn't aware of, and also things like our January event that we're putting together. And if you're like myself or any of the OGGN experts to come speak at your event, let me know. I had a event that was postponed and it got picked back up again. So I'm really looking forward to go speak at ConocoPhillips. Oh, cool. Yeah. Cool. And of course, this was first Friday Q&A. So if you have a question, we have it set up in on the new website now where you can just go and click and fill out the form, right? Yeah. And the old website's still up too. Oh, it is? Okay, Remember cool. we had, so if, if listeners, oh. if for like a day you couldn't find us anywhere on the web, we didn't go out of business. <laughs> We kind of screwed up. And it wasn't we as in me and Paige, but it was just our web team. We tried to do something that we didn't know what to do, how to do it properly. And so we basically deleted ourselves from the from the interwebs <laughs> and they fixed it. So actually um, it was the day before we were supposed to release one of our yep, shows. Yep. It killed everything. Literally no shows could be released. Nobody could publish um, any shows. It was not calm around here at OGG no, and headquarters when that happened. But it's fixed. And so the tech team is out figuring out how to do this correctly the next time so it doesn't happen. <laughs> so for an audience right now, it doesn't matter. Just go any place <laughs> you can find oil and gas this week I and you can ask a question. I guess I got so mad I, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right. right, Paige, you ready to get out of here? Yep. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Here's Savannah with Events on Deck. Happy New Year, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the Events on Deck for January 2021. This month, we only have three events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our two in-person events, the OCI East Houston Chapter Luncheon at the Monument Inn on the 5th, and the Houston Chapter Energy API Meeting at the Petroleum Club on the 14th. The only online event we have this month is the Prefab Connect from the 26th to the 29th. Other than these events, OGGN may be hosting some more live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or our website for more information about any of the live streams we have coming up. 
If you have any questions about the events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for January. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.